Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard, and I am your host. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little angry this week, so bear with me. Um, I watched that debacle of a U.S. Open uh, final match, um, game, set, match, match, I guess is what it's called. You can laugh at me. It's okay. I'm new to tennis. Um, and I'm still mad about it. I'm still mad at how Serena was treated. Um, I, I, from what I understand, it is unheard of for the penalties to be levied that were, especially in a final at the Open. So, um, and, you know, we all know the stories of McEnroe and and the men that come on and swear and throw things around and and have their moments of anger and yet she could not. So um, I'm still angry about that. And also at how it ruined this amazing moment for Naomi Osaka. Um, she played an incredible game. I mean, there's no doubt, no, nobody arguing that fact. Uh, she played an incredible game and likely would have still beat Serena, but you know, it just, made it not the moment that she should have had. And I don't know, I feel bad for her and want to send her a card. So somebody find me an address. I have somebody working on that. But if any of you happen to know of an address where I can send her a card, please let me know. Moving on, um, a reminder about that scholarship that the Players Trust has open for anybody interested in labor law um, or labor studies. Um, You have to be in grad school or law school. Um, it's open until November 2nd or 12th. I don't remember. Just do it now. Um, and it's up to five awards of 10 grand each. So that's huge as somebody with a ridiculous amount of student loans. And you'll hear in this episode, a figure, um, you know, take, take a shot at it. So please let me know if you apply and if you get it, that'd be awesome. And, uh, now we have Kathy Burroughs who is the CEO, or as she likes to call herself, the chief energy officer of sold out seating. And when I first heard about Kathy and sold out seating, I just assumed that sold out seating was another platform or another broker for selling tickets. And I could not have been further from reality. Um, She's a consultant that works with um, teams and other businesses Um, to help develop and train their sales staff. Um, She also does some leadership training as well. And the reason this is important is because there are so many organizations that are still using the same metrics and the same techniques for sales. It's a lot of make a whole ton of cold calls and pray, basically. Um, she recognizes that you have to be a little more creative these days. If somebody just wants to buy a ticket, they can do it online. Um, and that there are different strengths that we all have. And sometimes you need to develop the other, you know, areas where our weaknesses are. And so she focuses on that a lot. Um, she's also a really big proponent of just changing how we manage and, um, deal with our workforce in sports anyway. So the millennials that people keep, you know, saying not great things about, they have a different value set in terms of work-life 
balance than a lot of generations before have not had. Um, before it was, you work your butt off all day, every day. And that's commendable, but also, you know, they didn't have, you know, full rich lives in a lot of those circumstances. They weren't there for their kids stuff. They, um, ended up drinking too much. They, whatever it is. Right. So with this new generation, we're seeing that that balance is far more important. And particularly for women, um, we know because we've talked to Tara Black at the Charlotte, Charlotte checkers, um, and other women on this podcast that said, keeping women in the industry is really hard because of that balance between home and um, work. And if you're requiring people to be at every game when you have 81 home games, is that really, you know, conducive to keeping good staff? So we have a really great conversation. I ask a lot of questions about um, what she would advise people do. So this is um, really a, a little more substantive um, and less, you know, deep in her background than some of our prior episodes have been. I think it'll be really good for those of you who are interested in getting into the industry. And for those of you already in the industry, it's a good look at, you know, are there little things that you can be doing for the team that you manage um, to make their lives a little bit better and more full and to bring the best out of them. So I hope you really enjoy it. Now to our interview with Kathy Burroughs. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Bobby. Thank you for being on our podcast. You're welcome. I'm excited to be on it. I start these by asking people, how did you fall in love with sports? Oh, it's been a love-hate relationship. Um, I have a, um, a developmentally challenged brother that lives with us now that I grew up with and baseball was his passion. So our, our television, our radio was continually turned to the Cleveland Indians morning, noon and night. And it, I just, I grew to hate sports. It's like, Oh my gosh, is there anything else on? And then when I um, graduated from nursing school, I started taking him to some of the games and I found I actually enjoyed it. Um, nothing like seeing things in person and following a team. And the more I, I went, the more I fell in love with it. Um, started opening me up to other sports and, to see what I'd been missing. Um, and then, you know, once the uh, Cleveland, I, I started doing some groups at the Cleveland Indians. And once they had an <clears> opportunity <throat> to um, join their volunteer club, I did. And, and then I really got to appreciate the sport and, and what it was and the hard work that goes into it in the front office as well as on the on the field or on the court. When you were growing up and trying to, you know, decide what you wanted to be, you know, as a grown up, um, how did you come upon nursing as something that you were thinking of doing? Well, um, my sister was a nurse and I was quite the homebody. I, I like being close to home. I always wanted to be a teacher, um, but the college for me was too far away from home. So since my sister went to nursing school, it sounded like a good thing for me. So I went to nursing school and although I enjoyed it and I, I feel I was a good nurse. I wouldn't necessarily say it was my passion. And so um, I did start teaching for a bit, and that 
that I found was the best of both worlds for me. So you did end up going through nursing school and, yep. and getting your degree. Um, and then what, what did you end up doing right when you first came out of school? Um, I actually started working at the hospital. And so um, I, I knew then that <laughs> I knew I had picked the wrong career when the director of nursing pulled me aside one day and she said, I don't know how to explain this to you, but there is no room for creativity in nursing. And I thought, oh, and I am such a creative person. This is so not good. Um, but I found ways to make it creative. I found ways to have fun with patients. I found ways to to um, help them feel better, feel happier, um, get them involved if they were long-term care. So I, I was able to use some creativity, even though that wasn't exactly what I should have been doing, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it worked. And then how, um, how did you get involved with the Indians? Um, I had done some groups at the Cleveland Indians through our church. Um, we owned a, a couple of hair care salons, so I did it through our, our salons. And they called me one day because they were putting together a group of people to start a volunteer sales club. So they asked me if I'd be interested. And I said, "Mm, I don't think so. And he said, well, you know, there's going to be tasty beverages and food. And I'm like, okay, I'll come. So I went and um, they were explaining that you do this, you know, you you bring groups to them and it's perks. Um, You get all these perks for it. So the vice president comes up to me and he said, so what do you think? Are you interested? And I said, I don't really think this is for me. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I didn't think you could do it. And I just looked at him because he knew the way to get to me was tell me I can't do something. Because if you tell me I can't, you've got me. So I looked at him and said, fine, you have me. I'll join. So my very first sale, um, I sold out the bleachers at the old stadium. Which, which was the Brown Stadium at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like 5,000 seats. And I thought, how hard is this? It's not that hard. And then I waited for the second sale and I thought, okay, this is seriously hard. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I have to come up with a plan. This is not going to work. Um, and that's when nursing kicked in, my nursing care plans, nursing strategy. And I transferred it over to a strategic plan for sales. And I ended up... Um, during my, my couple years there as a volunteer seller, actually outselling their paid reps. So um, they kept asking me to come aboard as a full-time person. And after a few years, I did. So it's so interesting. So as a volunteer salesperson, I feel like you couldn't get away with this these days. <laughs> <laughs> this, is my, this is my legal brain kicking in being like, how? did you get away with doing that? But you would just kind of basically refer groups to them? Refer groups, refer seasoned people. I actually sold one of their million dollar suites um, and was able to get that on the books. And it was more a case of um, you, you got perks for it. So instead of money, you got rewards. Like if you get to a certain level, you had a road trip with the tribe. If you got to another level, you got to go to spring training with a group, which was really cool, uh, you and a guest. So, you know, people get excited when they, they get prizes. Sure. Um, it's not always about the money. It's about feeling rewarded. Right. So, um, so that's how it went. And then when they brought me aboard, I actually was in charge of the group, um, which had 30 people at the time. And then I was in charge of the inside sales team, which had about 
14 people at the time. I was allowed to sell um, premium million dollar suites. I was allowed to do some corporate um, sponsorships. So I got the best of all worlds. I also did the training. And then um, I was responsible for two thirds of all the revenue brought in. Wow. Um, You're as part of the volunteer sales club, you were still nursing full time. No, I left nursing okay. um, and, and found this was truly my passion. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, and I left nursing, although there were many times at the Indians when somebody got hurt or an employee wasn't feeling well, that they'd call me over to take care of them. <laughs> of <course>. So my <laughs> nursing kind of kicked in <laughs> numerous times. <laughs> what was it like going from a, a career where you're on your feet all the time and Um, and you have very kind of like specific protocols to being in a position where you're sitting a lot, you're making a lot of cold calls, um, and it's not quite as, you know, step one, step two, step three, step four. I'm not a very good sitter. I think they realize that right away. Um, I move (laughs) around a lot. (laughs) Um, so I, I was more into how can we creatively sell? Um, how can we get um, bulks of people together to present? Um, so I started taking them from, let's not just cold call. Let's use our brain. We actually have a brain. Imagine that. Let's use it. Um, and let's do things differently. So um, we started doing some some influencers where we'd bring groups of people together and host events where um, I empowered the staff to just take different sections of it, talk about it, maybe have the GM come in. Um, and then afterwards, follow up and then start their sales process that way instead of just simply calling all the time. Well, that's interesting. I know that that's something that a lot of clubs do now as uh, sometimes as a prospect event, but then also as kind of like a member reward for people mm-hmm. who are season pass holders or season ticket holders. Right. Um, we just we need to we need to be in front of people more. I think that, you know, it's okay to call if you got to set an appointment, but I really encourage people to be in front of people more. It's, it's a much better conversation to be able to look at someone and assess needs and talk to them, see if they're a fit and if we're a fit for them. Right. When you were, when you were there with um, the Cleveland team, you put together a lot of like professional and sales development for the organization. Can you talk a bit about that? Right. Um, I actually did it then, and then they had me come back as a consultant, and I did more of it um, from just the power of how to network, um, how to know when to introduce yourself if two people are talking, very basic things to actually um, doing lunch and learns. I started a lot of lunch and learns where those that were interested in getting better, um, brown bag lunch, will come in, we'll do a training, we'll talk about it. and then I went into more of the supersizing groups, um, how to get groups extremely large. And um, I started a program there at that time that we had that all the, the sales reps would get involved. And we'd all come, we'd invite all our, our um, group prospect leaders. And then we'd bring in our better group leaders and we'd have them all in for an evening. And we'd just talk about all the different things we have, how you could utilize them differently. and. It was very interesting because our current group leaders would just start talking to the 
prospects and say, hey, you know, if you need help, call me. This is really easy. Here's how we do it. And before you knew it, they were selling them on it. It was really interesting. That's cool. I know that, you know, it's been, I don't know, for however many years it's it's been, you have to make X amount of calls a day. And for a lot of people, that's very intimidating because, I don't know, well, nowadays, how many people actually use a telephone? <laughs> right, right. I'm not a big fan of, you have to make some calls, obviously. Mm-hmm. Phone doesn't ring on its own. No matter how hard I try and look at it, it won't ring on its own. But um, you have to call out in order to get responses in. But I'm not a big fan of, you got to make 100 calls, you got to make 120. I've had teams that I've worked with where, um, or, or sales reps that have called me and told me, you know, they they hit their goal before the season ended, they've exceeded their goal, and yet they were written up because they weren't making 100 calls a day. And I'm like, you need to get out of there because there are teams that would covet you um, because you're more of a relationship builder. I know when I um, do training, I, I work with them on the, the four areas um, of relationship building, influencing, strategic, and executing that Strength Finders has. and they quickly see some people are are very geared to one-on-ones. Some people are geared to in-groups. Some people are geared more to, I'm not comfortable in front of people. That's something we can work on. Some people are woo people that we're sticking them in an office, forcing them to make calls when they should be out in public because that's where they're going to make their most sales. Um, trying to understand who our, our reps are really helps more as to, to helping them be successful. How did you come to know how to do all of this? I mean, you know, coming from the background that you had and then all of a sudden you just kind of, it was it this just moment of, oh, I know how to do this. Or was it a lot of your own, you know, work? Um, I think it's a combination of the two of them. Um, I'm more of a strategic thinker. So I like to think it through how can we do this best? And I'm not afraid to try. I'm one of these people that I am not afraid to try. Um, I used to have a vice president that I absolutely loved at the Indians, um, Jeff Overton. And he would just look at me and, you know, I'd tell him I'd have all these brilliant ideas. And um, he would laugh, but he would tell me 357. And I call it the Overton 357 rule. And that is three years, five years, seven years down the road. What impact will this idea have? Will it hurt the organization or help the organization. And that really um, helped me as I did a lot of strategic planning and came up with ideas to sit back a minute and say, okay, three years down the road, is this going to be something we're going to take away from them and they're going to see it as taken away? Is this just a one-time fix? Um, Is this a smart decision? And so it helped me really think through the process better so that um, when I started trying things that more things, (laughs) um, I, I was more in tune to doing them correctly. Um, not that I always was perfect at it, but I had a strategy in place. I knew the pitfalls that could happen and I knew how to overcome them if they did. And I was ready to go with it, which is what I teach a lot of sales reps to do. Um, we tend to start a lot of things and say, oh, it's not working and quit right in midstream when we need to keep going through it. Um, because usually it's it's not the idea. It's usually the execution. We just didn't think it through well enough. Gotcha. I hear a lot of times that, you know, it's great to experiment and and try a bunch of things, but then to quit right when you know it's not working. 
So on in your experience, you seem to have found the opposite to be true. Is it because the data that you get after the fact, once you see it through to completion? Right. Um, yeah, I, I find that a lot. Um, actually, when we do brainstorming for groups, for supersized groups, <clears throat> invariably somebody will say, well, I have this idea. And somebody else will say, oh, we tried that and it didn't work. And I'll say, why didn't it work? Well, because we didn't have a good turnout. Why didn't you have a good turnout? And so as we start peeling off the layers, we find the execution just wasn't right. We didn't execute it correctly. So it's like, let's revisit this. How can we put it together better? Um, And then they have success and they're like, oh, this is working. (laughs) Yeah, it is. A lot of organizations are kind of stuck in old patterns and old way, you know, uh, always doing things the same way and expecting different results, which we all know what that really means. You know, how, how have you been able to go into some of these organizations and get them to open their minds to the different ways of training and development? I encourage teams to interview me before they bring me out. I want to see if we're the right fit. Because I've worked with some teams that when I, I got there, although the staff really wanted it, management did not. And they wanted a trainer to come in so that could be checked off their box, but they weren't going to make any changes. So now I, I tell them, you know, interview me. Let's see if we're a good fit. Um, and I tell them right out, quite frankly, um, sports, Einstein must be just laughing in his grave because sports is exactly, you know, his definition of insanity. We really do keep doing the same (laughs) things over and over and expecting different results. And we're heading to 2020. The world is different. How we buy is different. People's choices are different. Um, 1980s, the teams kind of owned us. There weren't as many entertainment options. It was the thing to do. They could dictate a lot. Um, But nowadays, there's so many more options, so many more things to do, so many more places to spend your money. and it's, it's customer run now. And so the, the client, we have to really be more, more in tune with the client's needs, more in tune with where the client is going at this point in time, what, how they would buy differently. Um, you know, a lot of businesses, I, I've recommended to some teams, a lot of businesses don't want season tickets. But if you put together a bank for them and they can plop in increments of 5000 or $10,000, use it however they want throughout the year, but they have to use it during that year, you're going to find that they're going to use some some premium seating, some regular seating, maybe rent a suite or two. They're going to use a lot of different options. If that's what works best for them, why aren't we doing it? We need to do what's best for them. That's what not what is best for us necessarily. And I think that's especially true when it comes to sports like baseball um, and hockey and basketball. So everything but football, essentially, Um, where you have so many games. I mean, I think in baseball, what is it like 88 home games or something like that? 81. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of games to go to if you have season tickets and a job. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, you, you know, and they tell you, oh, but you can sell them online. You can do this. You can do that. That's true. But there's no guarantee they're all going to be sold either. What works best for them? Um, you know, I, I often tell teams, it's not about us anymore. It's just not about us. And if you really listen to your buying public, 
and you find what really works for them, it doesn't have to be a league thing. It needs to be an area thing. What works best in your area? Mm -hmm. There is no model that works perfectly everywhere. What works best in your area? How can you best get people aboard? One of the things that I have been noticing, and there are a couple of these people that I've noticed, is a trend of COOs or CEOs of teams, maybe a president of the team, um, actually being active on Twitter and Mm -hmm. and interacting with fans that way, even mid-game. It's pretty Mm -hmm. incredible. I think um, the guy at the A's does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always really interesting to see that occur. Do you think that that, you know, is, they just did something really different with their ticket sales, correct? Like right. how they're doing right. it. So uh, do you think they're a good example of, you know, focusing more on the fans as opposed to, you know, n- themselves? <laughs> I'm, I, I think it's a start. I'm not sure I would just say, you pay and you can sit in any seat you want. Um, but I would I would start with companies first and let them figure out how they best want to use their dollar. Or I would tell, you know, individuals, here's your price range. Here's the seating areas you can choose from instead of just any seat in the whole ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you mentioned about COOs on Twitter. And, you know, I absolutely love Scott O'Neill. And when he took over at the Philadelphia 76ers, he was – you know, they were a losing team. They were a horrible team. And he never hides behind anything. He's always front and center. And I've always admired that about him. So whether it was on Twitter, whether it was on email, he was always front and center. So if you had questions, he would answer. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was not afraid to answer. I remember once a season ticket holder um, called him out on called the team out on Twitter and was complaining that, you know, you have these new gifts you're giving out. I never got mine from last year. You know, my account rep, I can't get a hold of them, blah, 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 really blasting it. And Scott O'Neill responded on Twitter and said, if you would have paid your bill, you would have had your gift. And somebody posted afterwards, never mess with a COO. And I thought for a COO to address it instead of, the sales rep taking the abuse tells you what kind of person he is. Well, you know? and and let's be honest, that is a very, not many of the COOs that I have dealt with are actually going to be that blunt, right? Right. They're right. going to be like, I'm, you know, we're going to get somebody in touch with you, you know, blah, 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 right? Like yep. calling you right now myself, you know, yep. but it wouldn't have been, hey, you need to pay your bill. And, (laughs) and that is a big, I mean, that is something that every team deals with. Um, and, and I find that refreshing as well. Um, I, I sometimes think we have to be a little more blunt at times and a little more, you know, because how dare you talk that way about that organization when you're not living up to your, you know, the bargain. Exactly, exactly. And I, there's vice presidents I really admire, and there's some that I don't admire as much because I watch the staff, you know, they will, they will dictate, here's the policy, here's the way it's going to go. And then as soon as someone complains, and then the poor staff member is trying to explain, this is how we're doing it this year, I know it's inconvenient, 
all they have to do is they complain to the vice president and they, fall. And they buckle. Yep. And it's like, ugh, you know, what, what is this message you're giving your staff? Yeah, I think that's always tough too. And again, it's going to be individual for each organization and there are going to be some extenuating circumstances. But I mean, there are some that hand out their business cards like candy and then everybody and their mom can get in touch with them when, yep. you know, the, I don't know, the speakers are too loud at the stadium. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not, you know... Not really the best use of that person's time, I feel like. I have never really liked protein bars. I'll admit it. I think they're chalky. They're usually too sweet. They're just not my jam. But I recently got to try some RX bars and I think my mind might be changed. RX bars are those bars that you see on the shelves that have just a few ingredients on them. They're listed right on the front of the package. And you would probably recognize them. They have egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and some other ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, and spices like sea salt and cinnamon. Um, They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, all the goodness, and either sweet or savory. It's perfect. Um, They're great for breakfast on the go or if you just need to toss it in your bag so that you have it when you're late in the afternoon. I've tried the coconut chocolate. That's delightful. Uh, Peanut butter was also really good and not too overwhelming peanut butter, which I know sounds weird. They've debuted an RX nut butter, which contains, again, just a few simple ingredients um, like egg whites, fruits and nuts. They're single serve packets and they have nine grams of high quality protein in them. They're squeezable and spreadable. And one of the flavors is vanilla almond butter or a honey cinnamon peanut butter. Those sound delicious. RX bar. Those and some mint chocolate and coffee chocolate bars. You can try out some for yourself. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash LTPF and enter the promo code LTPF at checkout. Again, that's 25% off your first order by visiting rxbar.com slash LTPF and entering LTPF at checkout. What made you decide it was time to open your own shop and um, become chief energy officer, <laughs> CEO of your own company? Um, I was, um, I'm a relationship builder and um, had a had a vice president at the time that definitely did not believe in relationship building um, and really just wanted calls made and in three minutes they wanted you to close and be done with it. And I can't work with people like that. And they don't, they don't get it. Um, And it was a, it was a hard time because, you know, we were not on a winning streak at that point. So it took longer. You had to really work with people to convince them to come back. But um, so I just decided, okay, I've got teams calling me left and right, asking me for help. How do you get these large groups? How did you do this? How did you do that? And at that time, um, baseball was major league baseball was not as um, open minded. They didn't want you to share ideas at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they're much better now, but they were not open minded at that time. So I, I left on a Friday. I, I, I turned in my resignation. Um, left on a Friday. My one son thought of the name on a Saturday. Um, my other son came up with the logo on a Sunday. Um, on Monday, I ordered um, my business cards and I ordered 500 jigsaw puzzles that were blank. 
I had them overnighted to me. And then on Tuesday, I downloaded every picture of every arena and every ballpark and hockey rink I could find. And I would iron it on the puzzles and I would break up the puzzle pieces and overnight it to the vice president of sales, all of it except one piece. And the next night I would overnight the other piece and say, I'm your missing piece. And I had a ton of offers for marketing, which was not my goal, but um, <laughs> at least it got me noticed. Um, it did get me noticed. And um, that started my career. That's really interesting. Uh, and so again, it goes back to your creativity, right? And I don't know that I would ever think to do something like that. Um, and we hear stories about people being really creative when trying to get jobs or trying to get clients. And I think it's easier when you're getting a client as opposed to a job, right? Mm -hmm. I, th I think you can really, sometimes it creeps people out when it's for yeah. <laughs> a full-time job. But yeah. if, you know, it's for your business and you're just getting clients, it's seen as interesting and cute and, yeah. you know, fun. So, um, and, and so talk about what, you know, what your initial vision was and, and kind of like where you are now with it. I'm totally different than when I started out. Um, I started out more um, on the on the cutesy creative side. Um, we did a lot of work together, you know, putting puzzles together, figuring out how sales was more like puzzles and stuff like that. Um, and it has evolved in time, especially now with the millennials. Um, I personally. I absolutely love working with them. And when teams tell me, you know, oh, these millennials, they don't do this, they don't do that. I'm like, yeah, but they're the future and they have a different way of doing things. And I personally love that. They're not afraid to come up with ideas. Um, so I, I kind of evolved. And as I did, I was up, I remember I was up at Madison Square Garden at the time and they asked me to um, figure out a way to help their staff um, come up with hitting their goals prior to the end of the season. And so I observed for a little bit and I realized there's, there's no real plan. And so I went back to my days at the ballpark and it's like, okay, you're running your own small business. So that's what I did. I worked with the staff, the WNBA staff there. And it's like, you're running your own small business. You're within a franchise, got to turn the electricity on. You got to pay the water bill. You got to pay the rent. I think you like to eat and I'm sure you like to go out for tasty beverages. So what are you going to do to make this happen? So those were the first people that I had write their strategic business plan. And they ended up having to present it to the vice president and to the president. And, um, and then they put the plan in place. And that was the first team at that time that all of them, except the new person that just showed up in January, um, they all hit their goal prior to the start of the season. Wow. That's yeah. fantastic. So from there, I um, I realized this is this is the way we need to start thinking. Um, instead of just dialing for dollars, we need to really have a plan. You have to have a GPS, or I have no clue where you're going. Um, you're just going in every day doing the same thing. So um, when I read the book Strength Finders by the Gallup people, I just looked at the four areas they had marked: um, relationship building, influencing, strategic, and executing. And I thought, my gosh, that's the four areas of sales. So that's what I focus on. I have the, anybody I work with, I have them take um, 
strengths test first so I can figure out where they fall, where I can best help each individual. I cover it all, but I know where I can help the individuals. I work with their um, directors or their vice presidents so that they can see how they can best help the individuals and the staff instead of just having a meeting every week with them and saying what's in your pipeline. They can actually coach them and help them. Do you think that, you know, outside of sales, um, even though sales is obviously your focus, but do you think that this is something that a lot of different departments could be doing as a way to develop their team into better everything? Absolutely. I've done it with um, some of my leadership training. We've done it um, just for different areas of leadership in an organization or in a team. And figuring out the strengths and then how to best work with them um, in each area to bring out the best and where they're, if they don't have a top strength in those areas, how can we get it better so that they're, they're more, um, they're more even keel and Mm -hmm. and they're building up their, their ability to do better. Um, It's interesting when I, when I work with a team, I generally, when we brainstorm for groups, supersized groups. I make them do round one, they draft, and then after about the third round, um, then you you take on an additional with a partner. And most teams do not work together on groups. They just sell individually. So these are the only ones they really work as a partner. And what's interesting is if you look at their strengths afterwards, they're two entirely different people. But it's a, a common idea that they both like. And they want to go after. So by working together, they bring out the best in each other. And I found more often than not, success is there then. Then they're hitting their 1,500, 2,000 people that they wanted to bring in. That's interesting. What, for yourself, you know, as you go through having this business and um, in training other people, essentially, what do you do? to keep your professional development up, to keep yourself learning? Um, I, I don't have a lot of patience <laughs> for people <laughs> that I'm not a patient person. I don't have a lot of patience for people that may have been in the industry 20 years ago, but I haven't sold anything in 20 years um, because tell me exactly how you're really in tune with what's happening right now. So I still sell. Um, and right now I'm going to be selling shortly for one of the one of the teams out here in Arizona to help them. But I still sell. And last year I sold for Women's National Fast Pitch. Now, if you went hard, that's got to be the hardest thing in the world to sell because most people don't even realize it's there. Mm-hmm. But it kept me humble. <laughs> and it really kept me on my A game, figuring out how am I going to bring these groups in? What am I going to do? How am I going to get it there? Um and those kind of things, when I tell teams I do that, it's a, it's a bond immediately because they realize, okay, you're hearing what I'm hearing, and, and I do, and I hear it. So when I say, you know, did they say this to you? They look at me, and they're like, oh, how would you know that? Yeah, they just told me that two months ago. <laughs> I heard the same thing from somebody else. So how, how are you going to get around it? Here's how I got around it. Um, and that makes a huge difference. you you got to keep your – Got to keep your hands in it. Um, Got to read a lot. I keep learning. Um, I have a book coming out actually next week, my first of four, and this one's on sales, but I read sales books all the time. Um, I like to read articles. I like to 
see what other people are doing. Um, I like to just observe people in action. Even when you go to a store, um, just observe people in action. How are they retaining their clients? How are they suggesting? How are they recommending? I like to watch those kind of things. That's the best kind of ideas you can get is from others in action. It's, I mean, it kind of blows my mind that you end up selling for national fast pitch. How, how does that, how does that occur? Like, do you just reach out to them and say, Hey, do you need help selling things? <laughs> Actually with them, I started working with the team and they're like, Oh, we just need so much help. So I did some training and I thought, okay, put your money where your mouth is. So I said, do you mind if I help selling sell? And they're like, oh, no, we would love the help. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. So I did. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is, and I try and do that. I try and keep that up because I want to, I just want to keep my hand in it. No, I, I think it makes so much sense. And, and you're right. There are people who, I don't know, you, you have consultants all over the place, right? Who worked in the industry for three years, for 12 years, but haven't been with a team, you know, in however long. And, right. and you're right. It's kind of, it's not going to stick as much to people necessarily if they're not actually doing the dirty work themselves nowadays, especially with how quickly things change. Right. And quite frankly, the millennials can call you out in a heartbeat because they can recognize it. <laughs> oh yeah. I, yeah. I if do. you're, if you're not authentic and you're, just throwing cliches at them. They're just going to roll their eyes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the, and the interesting thing with them is um, on most of these strengths tests, I find that they're really strong in strategy and they're really strong in execution. They're not as strong in relationship building and influencing, which makes sense when you think about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so that's more where I have to work with them because they have the tools to figure out how it's just, Okay, let's let's put together the basic tools and you can really be successful now. What do you say to people who are thinking about, you know, they're about to graduate college, maybe they've had a sport management degree or or whatever, and they're thinking of jumping into their first job in sales in sports. What do you tell them? I I really encourage them. This is the most important job you're going to have. It's either going to make you or break you. There's a lot of kids that get their first job and are so disillusioned. They go out of it and never come back. And I feel really bad because we lose good people that way. This is the most important job you're going to have. So don't be enamored with your favorite team. Don't be enamored if it's major league versus minor league. Don't be enamored with, oh, my gosh, it's this team. And they went to the World Series last year. Are you going to get the best experience? If a team went to the World Series or went to the NBA Finals or, or, you know, went to the hockey finals, they're more or less going to be selling pretty well. And so are you going to get the best experience? Go where it's hard. That's how you're going to learn. But I also tell them, don't just jump at the first job. You need to really put some solid questions together and interview them as much as they're interviewing you. This is a big step in your career. Make sure they're going to invest in you. Um, I'm working with leadership teams now and trying to get them all to understand the importance of truly investing in our staff. Um, that's what they want. It's one of the reasons they leave sports um, is because they're not invested in enough. So especially with new grads, 
they don't they don't know. They haven't done this before. So it's it's a continual process. How much are they going to be invested in? What are their chances of um, continual learning? Do you do a training at the start and then that's it? Um, or is it a continual learning kind of thing? Do you bring in someone? Um, these are things they just need to ask so many questions, which they tend not to. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're right. I think that even, you know, when I was graduating, we, I wouldn't have known to do that. Um, and only maybe in the last five years have I thought, hey, I should really start figuring out if I'm actually going to be a good long-term fit, if they're going to help with my development and, um, and, and things along those lines. So even as an attorney, it's, it, it's something that you have to think about. Absolutely. When, when someone says, hey, I've got two job offers. One is um, with this organization and, you know, it looks like it'll be good money. Um, but, I mean, my family's just going to look at me like I'm crazy because it's somewhere in the boondocks. And, but I know that they have a really great manager there. Um, or, hey, should I go to, you know, the team that everyone knows? Um, same sales experience generally going to happen. But I don't know about this manager. They, not as many people have said great things about them. And I see that they have a lot of turnover. That should be a red flag right away when there's a lot of turnover. Um, people leave sports teams for a reason. And when you have a lot of turnover, there's it's usually goes back to managerial styles. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not investing in their people. Communication's not right. Um, there's no time life balance at all. Um, there's no recommendations. There's no further training. There's no, there's no, um, there's no value placed on their people. Um, we have to get out of our comfort zone. Sports is a mobile profession. So if you want very few people start in their hometown team and stay in their hometown forever, um, very few people. It's a mobile profession. So if you, I have a lot of kids that call me and say, well, we only want to stay within a uh, 50 mile radius of, of where I grew up. Well, you have one team. So what are you telling me? If right. they don't take you, you're going to be, you know, flipping burgers or something. So um, it's a case of you, you have to, if you're truly interested in being sports, in sports, you have to be mobile. You have to be open-minded and we have to get out of our comfort zone. I think we grow best when we're out of our comfort zone. Some of the best sales reps I've had took a chance and started somewhere far away. Um, they maybe didn't have the best apartment. They had to room with somebody, but they scratched and clawed and learned and they wanted to learn and they grew and they're very successful now. Um, but then again, there's others that I've seen that stay in their own, their own hometown. They're maybe living at home. They don't have that same um, passion, that same, I've got to get it done. You know, I can't go back home without trying to make my mark. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a big difference between the two. Oftentimes it's good to get out of your comfort zone. I tell that to people all the time. Um, you know, young women who are looking to get into sports law or, or something and they're like, you know, I've, they've got this geographic 
region that they happen to say like, oh, I applied, you know, I'm looking at this school and that's, and they're all within the same geographic region. I'm like, there is a whole big country out there. And yep. there are literally maybe less than 300 jobs that are out there in what it is you want to do. Exactly. So exactly. And, and, you know, when you mention um, the hometown thing, it reminded me of, I had a, one of my earlier guests is, was Amy Jo Merton. She's mm-hmm. um, the young woman who, basically taught Shaquille O'Neal how to tweet, 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 excuse me. I couldn't say that right. Tweet. And, um, and she's, you know, get, had this amazing career and, but she always says, and I think she's referencing someone else saying it. So it's like a quote of a quote of a quote, but, um, that if you want to figure out how to survive on the Island, you need to burn the boats. And so when people do move far away to wherever and, and you see that extra drive in them, I think maybe that's part of it, right? Because if you're in your hometown, you're like, well, I can always, you know, I may not want to, but I could always. And if you're far away, you don't have that could always. That's right. That's right. And there's only coming out of a sports management program. There's only so many jobs and, You know, it's not like everybody's going to get one. So what are you going to do that's going to set yourself apart? And and oftentimes I tell teams, you know, I don't really, I don't really care. Me personally, I don't really care if you have a sports degree or not. I really don't care. I just want to know, can you build relationships? Right. <laughs> can you, you know, can you talk? Can you speak with people? Um, how convincing are you? When I talk to you, are you convincing me that you you really want this, that you're good at it, that you want it, that you're willing to try? Um, those are the things that are important. But when you when you're graduating and you apply, you have to remember you're one of maybe 500 to a thousand applicants. Mm-hmm. So what's going to make you stand out? And that goes back to what are you doing during your college career to set yourself up for success? Um, you know, lifeguarding every year may be nice money, but that's not exactly setting you up for that sports job. So what are you going to do? I've had, I've had kids that have taken, um, non-paying jobs and some were paying. I mean, if you're fortunate enough to take a non-paying, but have had to, you know, they may be in Ohio or Illinois and here they go to San Diego or they go to Florida or somewhere else where they're actually working, um, and getting some amazing experience. Um, and they're not afraid to get out of their comfort zone and they're going to do it. And so those are the people that you, somebody's going to look at two and three times because they've already taken that step and done something differently. Um, what are you interning? Are you only interning in your hometown teams? Again, broaden your horizons. Um, and it's nice to intern in promotions and it's nice to intern in on-field activities. Those jobs are very few and far between. So narrow it down to something that will really make an impact that you have a better chance of getting a job. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I remember, I mean, I interned with one of the teams in the Cape Baseball League. Um, and it was a volunteer position. It was unpaid. And I was working at a bar at night. But, you know, it, I got to figure out how a 50-50 raffle worked and how to sell merchandise and, um, 
you know, oddly, you know, I was involved with packing up uniforms to go to a movie studio because they were going to be um, filming um, Summer Catch and like wow. listening to some of the call, you know, some of the discussions about how it was approved and stuff like that. And just it's it doesn't seem glamorous and at the time it can be kind of annoying, but I think it's so good to do those things. And, and, you know, the Cape baseball league is, is fairly well known, but there are things like national fast pitch, you know, and, and other sports that are a little outside of the norm of the four corners of what we think of. Right. 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 That, that provide all these opportunities because they don't have the ability to hire a whole ton of people. Right, right. And you get amazing experience. Um, you really can get some amazing experience out there. Yeah, just have sure. to Just have to look for it and not be afraid. For sure. And, you know, we say this fully recognizing that, you know, in my, in my situation, I had to work another job. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that may be what somebody has to do. And, you right. know, and, um, but it's worth it if you can do it and if you can make it work for you without burning yourself out. Exactly. And you know what? It doesn't change when you get to be an adult either. I mean, I have two boys who are drummers in bands and that is their passion, but they work a day job so they can do their passion at night. Right. And it's no different with this, you know, your, your passion may be in sports and you might have to work that extra evening job so you can do that internship. This episode is brought to you by San Diego State University's Sports MBA, a full-time sports-focused MBA program in San Diego, California, or some people refer to it, San Diego. (laughs) A unique feature of this program is its study abroad trip to the Dominican Republic. This hands-on course explores each step of a prospect's path to the big leagues, from skinny kids on makeshift playing fields to the high-pressure world of scouts, agents, and contracts. MBA students study teams' education systems and propose policies to assist the many prospects who don't make it to the show. SDSU students also get to volunteer with young women in local communities by encouraging them to play sports, an area where girls are often overlooked due to the boys' big-money baseball dreams. Students put on sports-focused workshops aimed at promoting inclusion and reducing domestic violence. This once-in-a-lifetime experience is only available through SDSU Sports MBA. Apply today at sdsu.edu slash sportsmba. That's sdsu.edu slash sportsmba. You were in sales in the 80s, 90s. It has always been a boys club. Oh, yes. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that and how, how you handled some of the, you know, uncomfortableness that, that occurs in those situations? Um, I think I learned early on, um, prove myself with numbers. And then, um, and then just go for it <laughs> um, because they can't argue with the numbers. Um, when you have ideas, 
they can roll their eyes, but you can't argue with the success that you've had to date. Um, I do, it's, it still exists. It totally still exists. In many instances, it still is a boys club. Um, in, in some instances, there are teams that have their, their quota. They make sure they reach their quota of females in um, higher positions. And, and I've heard this used in different places. Um, we need one more female to hit our quota. And it's like, okay, <laughs> this is so not the way to look at it. Um, totally so not the way. Hire me or hire them on their um, ability, not on a quota. Um, let it be known that they're, you're bringing them aboard because they're damn good, um, not because you have a quota to fill. It's interesting. I had a, um, a vice president from a team reach out to me last year and told me that the team had, the sales team had voted on me because I encourage teams to vote on who they want to do training because they're going to listen better if it's somebody they want. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, whoever it is, I don't really care. But if it's somebody they want, they're going to listen better. So he said the team had voted on me to come in. And I said, oh, very good. And he said, however, I'm not going to use you. And I said, okay. <laughs> and this conversation's going where? And he <laughs> said, well, I just figured that, you know, they're going to listen to a guy a lot better than they're going to listen to a woman. <sighs> so I was one of the few times I'm dumbfounded because I usually open up my mouth, but um, I, I was dumbfounded for a minute. So I just said, thank you. And just know that when you do call me that you need me, your price just tripled. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> um, and I really felt bad. I felt bad for the staff because a lot of them continually reach out to me. Mm -hmm. And I know they, they wanted that other way of thinking. And it's like, okay, this still exists. It's still going on. And um, we need to make that change. You know, there is no, I look at Scott O'Neill. He never had a corner office when he was at the garden. He had a middle office. And so corner didn't matter to him. He was in the middle. <laughs> um, and he would come out and he didn't care if you were female, male. He didn't care. Were you good? Right. Could you, you know, how good are you? Let's get you on the fast track if you're good. Um, that meant a lot. When I saw that, it's like, okay, there are people out there that recognize this, that get it. Um, that it doesn't matter who you are, um, race, sex, gender. I mean, none of that matters. Um, it matters just can you do your job? Can you do it well? And how do you relate to people? How do you, how do you suggest people go about trying to find out what the true culture is at an organization? Um, you know, are there resources that you can point people to or, you know, because it's unless you know somebody who works there, it, it can be kind of difficult to find out what the deal is. I am. Um, I'm really big on storybook question interviews. <laughs> um, and by that, I mean both for the teams and for the applicant, where instead of just asking a question, you give them a scenario and see how they respond. I'm very big on that. And, um, you know, just like in some instances, is this a culture I'm going to get along with or not? So one of the questions I use a lot is, you know, I have um, everybody has a relative that they absolutely cannot stand and they just can't get along with. Mine happens to be my brother-in-law. But, you know, what do you do? How do you handle it? 
And so I tell them, you know, how do you, you know, it's holidays and that, how do you get together with family and not let this be a deterrent? And it's very interesting some of the responses you get. And you start hearing what bothers people about other people. Mm -hmm. And you realize, is this a culture that's good? Is this a culture that's bad? Is this person a good fit? Is this person a not good As a manager, what are you seeing in your culture? Are you even seeing it? Um, and so I like, I like to throw questions at people that totally catch them off guard, that make them think, um, because that's when you get a, a better answer. And it's not just a question of how many females have you promoted in the past three years. That's, that's not, that's not the answer at all. Um, it's more of, you know, if you're a person that has solid ideas, tell them if, if, if I come to you with solid ideas, what are the chances? What is the process I have to go through to get these ideas? In action, what is going to be the process? Um, and if you get pushed back, you know, well, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. Okay, this isn't a culture I want. This is definitely not a culture I want. Um, so the questions you ask are every bit as important as the questions they ask you. And I would definitely, I encourage people all the time, especially females, to sit down and put together questions that are thought-provoking with not really asking. And you'll get insight very quickly as to what kind of culture there is there and how accepted you would be. When, if somebody ends up, you know, after the fact in a place that they're like, this is toxic, um, I'm, I'm not being, you know, mentored or developed, um, there's no room for new ideas, and there's you know, not an equal treatment of people or um, it's more than just the numbers. You know, there's something else that you have to have. It may or may not be a body part um, in order to, to do well. I'm not, I'm not going to say it because I said it last episode and I had people (laughs) texting me being like, Jesus. Okay, (laughs) fine. Um, Although I guess it made people laugh, so it's fine. Um, But you know, what do you advise of of those in that type of situation? What should they do? Should they cut bait? Should they, or, you know, how do they handle themselves? Um, it's, it's tricky with each organization. I will say that. Um, there are some very strong, solid HR departments that you can go to that are excellent. There are some HR departments that are toxic themselves and, and will hide the fact or put the blame back on you. Um, at that point, I would say get out of there quickly um, before something does happen or does blow up. Um, but I'm a big fan of not bad mouthing them. Mm-hmm. But I encourage them. You need to have a talk. You know, you, you start first with the person that's creating most of the problem, and you. I'm a fan of just addressing it and saying, you know, I just feel there seems to be a, a, a disconnect between us. And I, I, and it's not, I don't, I I encourage people not to say, you know, they're getting treated better than me, but, you know, in these instances, but have solid facts in these instances, I kind of like to know your reasoning as to why I'm not allowed to do these things or why I'm not chosen for these things. I need to know so I can get better, but I need to understand from you why I'm not being chosen. Um, The responses can be very interesting, which can also help you as you go to HR. I, I know they have exit interviews. Most teams have exit interviews with HR, which doesn't always help. I'm a big fan of sometimes you just have to go to the vice president and say, look, 
I'm going to HR, but I also feel I need to talk to you about this and, and lay it on the line as to this is what has happened, but make it very, um, take the emotion out of it and make it very um, critical thinking. And here's a situation. Here's how it occurred. Here are the responses. This is why I'm leaving. So that it's very black and white as to what's going on. Um, and not just he said, she said, but you know, make sure you document stuff along the way so that you have solid things that you can go to them with. If somebody's been in their role for less than a year, do you still advise that they try and get out? I do. Um, and I do because I've seen so many people just crushed by it and not want to get back in the sports at all. And I, we're doing such a huge injustice with that. We mm-hmm. really are. Um, and it's not healthy. And once a climate is not healthy for you mentally, it starts to wear on you physically. And so you need to get out. So when people say, oh, you were at that job a very short time, I realized quickly on it was not the right fit. Here's the type of person are here I am. Here's the type of fit in which I can thrive. And bring aboard qualities that organization has that you could thrive in. It it changes the conversation immediately. I like that. I think I think that's a really good way to go about it. I mean, I know people people ask that ask something similar. No matter how long you've been in a position, right? Well, why are you right. why are you looking to leave? You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, there are many ways you could go with that. Right. You know, I've hit a a ceiling, you know, there's, there's no room for advancement that they're not paying me what, you know, what I know my value is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the fit. And, um, and I think that people can realize that they aren't a good fit within a couple weeks, or it may take some years because right. sometimes there's a shift or, what was acceptable becomes unacceptable because you realize you're out of room. Right. Right. I worked with a team once and it was, it was just the absolute best fit ever. Everybody liked each other. Everybody was happy to come to work. They were so excited. And I told them, I said, you know, you guys better cherish this because if one person leaves, the whole dynamic is going to shift. Mm-hmm. You might not ever find this again in a work life. So you need to, to cherish every minute you have of this because it may never happen again. And then when one person left and the dynamic started shifting and, and then a, a different vice president came and stuff started shifting, they still keep in touch with me and they say that was the best time of our work life. And it's like, yeah, you usually only get that one time <laughs> around. So yeah. love it when you can, you know? Yeah. And it, it's okay that things shift, you know, I think right. it's, it's necessary. We grow. And if, if our roles don't grow with us very quickly, we're like, you know, one of those little chips in a bottle that can't get out. You right. Know? Right. Um, and go on. I was just going to say, and, and just continually doing things the same way without new ideas makes you very stale and, and, you become very blase about what you're doing. The passion kind of gets lost. Right. And I think it's important to continuously have curiosity. And if you're finding that your curiosity is being stunted, 
then that's usually a good indicator that your course has run at right. whatever it is that you're doing. Right. And if you don't have a leadership team that involves all of you in the decision-making processes, that's not a strong culture either. You know, it's nice to be doers. It's also nice to have a voice. Right. Um, and I, I work with leadership teams a lot. And I know, you know they look at me at first, like, what are you suggesting? And I'm like, these people should be vested in your organization. They should be vested in this business. They're just not down here in this room making calls. They should be a vested partner. So I encourage teams a lot um, to present, have the president come in, the vice president come in, the GM come in and present their three-year strategy. And then this is where, okay, here's our overall three-year strategy. Here's where we are year one now. Here's what our strategy is going to be year one. Now I'm going to turn it over to you guys. You put together how this is going to happen. How are we going to achieve this? If they're creating the ideas and they're putting together strategy, then they can write their business plan, but they will go through brick walls if some of that is their ideas Mm -hmm. instead of just being told, here's our pricing point, here's what you're going to do, here's how you're going to go do it, go make phone calls. Yeah, It's a lot different when you're involved. Yeah, I think you you have a personal stake in it, right? Absolutely. And then you you want to see it through to fruition. Um, Absolutely. You mentioned a couple of times um, about people leaving the industry. And one of the things that uh, I've had a couple of other guests talk about, um, Tara Black at the Charlotte Checkers mm-hmm. um, talked about it a bit, It is women leaving the industry. And mm-hmm. particularly in sports like baseball and hockey, um, you know, where there are just so many games and, and coming in, doing great work, and then they start to retreat and then they leave. And how do we, how do we fix that? I think part of, part of that is, um, you know, that assumption, well, they're going to get married, they're going to have kids. Do we promote them? Do we not promote them? Which, you know, is baloney. But, um, The other part of it is, especially for teams that have a lot of games, it's not just women, but overall, it's that time, that time life balance. And we've got to start recognizing that. And I've heard this a lot, especially about millennials that, oh, you know, they just want to leave at six o'clock. And, you know, I know I used to stay until eight o'clock and it's like, okay, so I I did this at a conference and I, I had some vice presidents and presidents get a little uncomfortable, but I said, how many of you, how many of you guys had parents that worked, both parents and almost everybody raised their hand. And I said, how many of you guys were totally ticked off or hurt because they missed a play? They missed one of your sports games. They missed a band concert. Only one parent could come. And there was a lot of, well, you know, yeah. I said, okay, these kids right now have been through that. And they're saying, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. I'm proud of them for saying that. Mm -hmm. We have to change what we're doing. We have to change. um, We have to change our mindset. It's not that privilege of working for sports anymore where you give your soul. It is, and you give blood, you know, it is, okay, I am a member of this organization. However, I also have a life. So whether we, um, some teams are starting to do it where they're, they're actually, you know, you may have three games a week or four games a week. And so they're starting to split it. You work game one, you work game two, you work game three, so that 
people do have a life. They can go home. They can have dinner with the family. They can put their kid to bed or they can go out with friends once in a while. It shouldn't have to consume them. That wears thin very quickly, um, especially for a female, especially if she has family. Right. Right. I think, I think that's, that's all (laughs) accurate. I mean, I know for me, and I've, I've mentioned it, you know, from time to time, but there's a point where I get in my work for the day that I'm like, you know what, we're at a good stop point mm-hmm. and I'm starting to not be effective. And so exactly. why the hell am I here? You know? Exactly. I mean, I think it's a little easier for me because I don't have direct reports right now. And, um, but even then I don't know that I've always thought that the FaceTime just for the sake of it is worth it. Um, I think that if you can work really smartly and get your um, goals accomplished in less time and then be able to go and do things outside of your office, um, it probably makes you a better colleague and a much better person, you know, much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, what's, what's the problem? Why do we have to work a nine to five or an eight to four thirty? What's the problem with setting your own hours? If you can come in anywhere from 7am to 9pm, maybe you're a person that gets up early. You can get more accomplished in the morning. You can hit those CEOs up. You can be a better B2B seller, or maybe you're better with, um, just talking to individuals and you want to catch them after dinner, you want to catch them in the evening and you're not a morning person. Um, but if you're successful, you can't argue with success. Right. Right. I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I also think it's interesting that we, um, we work for these organizations that are centered around the absolute fittest human beings and most athletic human beings, but we don't allow or, <laughs> make it easy for people to work on their own health and fitness while they're in these positions. Um, You know, there are many organizations that don't have changing or shower facilities for staff um, or that don't have, don't allow access to the gym that, you know, the training facility gym that is right next to their office. Um, and and I think that's a shame because I I know for myself when I am keeping up with working out, which I'm jumping back into tomorrow because I've taken the last couple of weeks <laughs> off. <laughs> but when 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 I'm doing it regularly, like it has a huge impact. And absolutely, you know, you want people to keep these crazy hours. You want them to walk all around stadiums. You want them to be energetic all the time. Well, how are they going to do that? Right. But you, and, and so often they say, well, you can do it on your lunch hour. Well, well, that's nice. <laughs> and you're supposed to eat when um, well, right. somewhere in there, you still have to eat, you know. Um, and a, a lot of teams, you know, that, that don't allow their own facilities are afraid the players might mingle with the people, you know, or, or you're just not allowed to. Um, then my question to them is, you know, then why don't you have a sponsorship with a gym where you can actually let your people use it? Right. Um, and then give them the time to use it so that they're, you know, one of the, one of the teams I worked with, um, New York Red Bulls had given everybody a Fitbit and they had a contest and these people were using the steps. They were, you know, working out 
they, they encouraged them to go to the gym. So they were using the gym afterwards. They would come in early. They were just having fun and they worked as teams to try and hit so many steps and things like that. But it made it fun. Yeah. And it showed invested. It, they invested in their people. They they were concerned about that. I had another team that would order um, once a week, you know, how you have your home food deliveries. Well, they had it delivered to the organization. So once a week, you could actually get your, your foods all delivered, um, fresh produce and all kinds of things, along with recipes for the week. That's a great opportunity so that you can take it home and actually eat smart once in a while, yeah. um, you know, instead of fast food every day. So, you know, what can we do to make their work-life balance better instead of just expecting them to be there 18 hours a day? Right. No, I think that's, I think that's, that's right on. And I actually like that idea about like the produce and recipes, um, cause that would be helpful for me. Um, I, I'm always just kind of shocked by, you know, the fact that, that you, these staffs keep growing. Right. Every they're all growing because you'd need more yeah. creatives. You need more digital. You da, 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 da. So everybody they're all growing. But, you know, with that, so are the healthcare bills. And there are ways to combat that by providing opportunities for people to maintain their health from a physical and a mental standpoint. Absolutely. You know, how many how many teams have a, a th- massage therapist that come in? I mean, if you're sitting at a desk making calls, doing things, you can have neck, shoulder, and, you know, upper back problems. How many have a, a massage therapist come in, even if you paid them, um, you know, a nominal fee, but be able to break off a of work for a half hour, for an hour, and get a massage? Those kind of things go a long way in making you a better worker, a better employee, and feel more valued. Well, and how many teams have nutritionists on staff now? Oh, absolutely. You know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and sometimes you get the benefit of it. You know, I know at my organization, we have a nutritionist on staff. Um, he's full-time, but he works in conjunction with our in-house chef um, for our dining room. We, we're very fortunate that we have access to this great dining room um, mm-hmm. with very, you know, good, healthy food. Um, and sometimes not so healthy at times, you know, there's like a good mix. But it's mostly, I mean, every, sure. you, you have to have the Philly cheesesteaks every once in a while, but absolutely there's there, but it's on balance, mostly healthy as it should be. And, right. and so we're fortunate that we, we have that opportunity, but how great would it be if another organization who had nutritionists on staff, you know, did the same thing or, you know, met with the staff who were having trouble, you know, with weight loss or, or nutritional deficiencies or whatever to, to help them create their own individual plans. That would be really interesting. And I think that would be a great benefit to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and two, for those that have families, um, I don't know if you notice it, but a lot of times in the sports industry, the vice presidents and the presidents will bring their kids. They'll take them onto the court. They'll take them onto the field. They'll take them here. They'll take them there. But no one else is allowed to. If you really want to present a strong culture and a family business, let others do that, too. Right. You know, they work their butts off. Let them bring their kids and let them get on the field. Let them get on the court. Let them feel like they're valuable, too. Oh, for sure. I think I think some of the best things that teams do is when they have like a friends and family day at training camp or, um, you know, they 
they have like a, a special like holiday event, you know, that incorporates something uh, team focused. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and and I think that's a good way to integrate within the community as well, because, you know, it's kind of hard to, sometimes these organizations are actually quite disconnected from the community, which is odd since they tend to be the center of the community. Yeah. And so starting with your staff and their families is a great way to start making those connections. Absolutely. I, you know, I think the there has to be more looked at and done by way of, you know, how do we allow people to balance? How do we incorporate families? Um, and, and what are the tools and, and opportunities that we can be providing our staff that will make them more productive, better community members. And make Uh, them want to stay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So I think this is something for all of us in the industry and for, you know, people in leadership positions in particular to, to really try and figure out, and it's going to be different for each organization it's never going to be the same for each, right? right? It's, it's all right. going to be different, but there are really little things that people could be doing on a, a pretty regular basis. Even if it's something as small as my former boss used to do this with me for your one-on-one with your, with your direct report, go for a walk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and ask them about their regular life. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I, that's, that's a very valid statement. How many of our managers even know anything about us other than the fact that we come to work every day? Oh my gosh. I had somebody ask me when I paid off my student loans and I said, oh, you mean the 200,000 I still have left? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, yep. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, no, that's a, that's a reach. Um, and I just horrified everyone with that number. Sorry. Don't go to law school. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it was so important to me. And, you know, David did a great job with that of, you know, looking after me in ways you if you see somebody who's who's staying at the office really late all the time, figure out like, are they just not working efficiently? Or do they think they have to be there? Like, figure out if there's a way to be like, yo, you need to go home. Go get right. some sleep. <laughs> right. And you know, too, one of the things I used to do um, before the season started, I used to, any of my staff that was that had a significant other, I would send a gift card um, to dinner and send it to their significant other and say, you know, I'm going to make sure they get out. You tell me the night. I'm going to kick them out of this office to make sure they get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to make sure that you have a good dinner, a good night out because the season's starting. I know it's going to be stressful. I want to make sure you have some time on your own. And that went such a long way. You know, yeah. just little things like that, recognizing they, they do have a family. They do have somebody else. Those yeah. things mean a lot. I think, yeah, I, that is, by the way, a really sweet idea and I like it and I may steal it at some point in life. Um, <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> But yeah, you know, figuring out when like somebody's 
kids get a play or something and, and acknowledging that, you know, again, as long as the work gets done, it's going to be okay if they leave at, you know, three, one day. Uh, I had one, I had one girl that was going to a team and she, she used to work for baseball. She was going to work for basketball and she's like, she got so far and she got kind of got cold feet. And I said, what is, what is the holdup? And she said, I just want to make sure I have time for my kids. You know, there's a lot of games. I'm not sure. I said, this is a conversation you need to have with some of the women that work there. How are they handling it? What do they do? So she did. And she found out that the guys and the women were great about it because most of them had kids. If you just put on your calendar, put on the, the master calendar, here's an event my kid has, here's an event my kid has. And they just all started working around it. So they'd cover for each other. Go enjoy it. And it made her feel so much better. Yeah. That, that everybody got that. Oh, I think that, that it's so, it's these really simple things that are really easy. I mean, at some point in life, we'll get over the, we need everyone to be at the games for no reason. Right. 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 Um, But we're not there yet. And that's okay. You know, it's an interesting part of our jobs and it makes it fun. But um, I think the slow, uh, move towards a little more freedom for people is is going to be wise because you look at some people who've been in the industry for a really long time, they're not in the best of health and a lot of them are divorced, you know, right. some right. multiple times. Um, and, you know, you just always want to be a little better, right? So, right, right. Um, I think this is a good point to wrap up and I'll ask you what I ask everyone at the end, which kind of goes along with all of this. <laughs> what do you do by way of self-care? Well, I go to the gym. I, I love the gym um, and I'm an avid reader. So anytime I can read, I will sit and read, whether it's on a plane, whether it's riding the bike at the gym, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to read. And, um, Wine and music. <laughs> All right. Get through life with wine and music. Okay. Um, what? Uh, give me two books that you can recommend to people who are listening. Um, as far as sales books, sales kind of or or another, you know, personal development type. Um, Jeb Blount has a book on fanatical prospecting, which to me is one of the absolute best prospecting books I've ever read. I really, really like it. Um, it just makes a lot of sense. And okay. that's unusual <laughs> in today's world to make that much sense. Um, and then there's a, a, a book. It's called um, The Season of the Witch. And that's more of a, a bestseller book. But it's it's more of a history of people. And it's a topic of people and memories and it, it's a kaleidoscope of kind of like memoirs, but it really helps you think about people and understand people better. And I am fascinated with how people work and how um, how things have happened over the years and how you know racism is still there, how gays are still not treated equally. And it's just a good look at people. All right. We will link to those. Um, how can people find you, follow you, you know, all the things? Um, my blog is sold out seating 
www.wordpress.com. And I am on LinkedIn. You're more than welcome to link with me. And I write um, a weekly article on my blog, sometimes two or three times a week, depending on how crazy I get with writing. Um, and then uh, every Wednesday, I have a mailbag. So all your sports questions you can send in. And I answer some on the mailbag. And if I don't answer them on the mailbag, then I answer them personally. Do you, um, are you on Twitter at all? I am. What is your handle on Twitter? I am. I'm at, at B first pitch. Yeah, at, at B first pitch. B is in boy first pitch? Yes. Okay. Yep. And we'll link those as well. Um, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciated the conversation. And I think, you know, it's some really good insight, especially for our younger listeners who are um, contemplating a career in the industry. Thank you. I have enjoyed it immensely. Thank you so much to Kathy for coming on. I enjoyed our conversation so much and it gave me a lot to think about as I progress in my own career and to, you know, potentially managing people more. Um, Please make sure that you are rating, reviewing and subscribing to our podcast. Rating and reviewing is so important, y'all. If you could just take 10 seconds and do it right now, it would be fantastic. You can do so on um, Apple Apple Podcasts, excuse me, uh, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. You can also find us at RadioInfluence.com or LTPFPod.com. And you can always email us. I got the loveliest emails um, over the last two weeks um, from a couple of listeners. You know who you are. I very much value those emails, and thank you so much. Um, so you all can do that too. It's ltpfpod at gmail.com. And I hope you all, oh, and follow us on the social media. We've been really active. Sorry, I've just got really excited. Um, we're trying to be a little more active. So we're at ltpfpod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I hope you all have a great week. And I look forward to bringing another episode next week. Bye now. I'm Matt Zemek, and with Saqib Ali, I am the co-host of the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Don't you want tennis to be talked about the way tennis fans like to talk about the sport? And don't you want a tennis podcast that is tailored to a person who appreciates the sport of tennis? I'm not talking about the casuals. I'm talking about the diehards, the tennis junkies, the people who love the sport beyond just the superstars. We'll talk about Federer. We'll talk about Nadal and Djokovic and Serena and Halep. We can definitely talk about those players all day and we're happy to but we're also going to take you behind the scenes and talk about other players that tennis fans want to know a little bit better Sakib and i talk to coaches we talk to historians we also talk to journalists and former players we offer perspectives around the world in many different accents and that's why we call ourselves the tennis with an accent podcast it's available on apple podcasts stitcher tune in google play and radioinfluence.com 